Previously on Wild Endeavors. While an old companion tracks down potential leads to another legendary Crucius, the Wayward Sons went looking for information about the King in Yellow and Therina's mysterious connection to the Elder God. They are directed to adjudicator Asiliat Sicarius, Brightmoon's resident expert on the King in Yellow. After fighting alongside the Paladins, the companions are invited to join an excursion to hunt down a group of the members of the Cult of Yellow. This is the story of the Wayward Sons, featuring Adam Rogers as the gnome rogue Malkin Kessel. There's probably a rogue thing for that, huh? Nick Feely as the elven fighter Aramil Galadinel. How about the arrow goes right through his jazziest hand? Evan Chamberlain as the human cleric Elemin Corster. Anybody need some heals? I can do that. Amy Josno as the dwarven barbarian Thorina Thunderhelm. Well, we yeah. can't die, can we? Devin Salisbury as the Eladrin wizard, Varys Leodon. Remember last time we went to help a child? It didn't end well. And I'm Thomas Marsetti, the GM and producer of These Are Wild Endeavors. So blame it on Thomas, as usual. Well, mm-hmm. well, I mean, yeah. And now, Chapter 14, Down the Depths. Five of you are marching through the ruins of the city of Paragon. Once it was the home to the Order of the Light. Paladins of more than two dozen good aligned gods brought together in one cause. During the War of the Champions, Paragon was the only city that successfully survived a siege from the forces of the Devourer. It became a haven for those fleeing the war and their own decimated cities. It was a shining beacon that there was still hope. Until one of the Order betrayed their comrades. In the heart of the Citadel of Light, the betrayer opened a gateway and ushered in demon princes, devils, and paladins of demon gods. Paragon fell. The Order of the Light was all but destroyed. And one of the legendary champions, Jason Brightblade, was slain. It was his death that convinced the other champions to take the drastic measure of creating the Crucius. Now the city is a strange mix of shadow and stone. In some places, entire blocks of buildings have been ground to dust. Just across the street, the homes and storefronts stand untouched by time. But somehow, they give the impression that they are silently screaming in agony. Gray clouds, never changing, hang a canopy over the city. And in the shifting light, some of the buildings turn into nothing but shadows, only to reappear wholly when the light returns. The paladin of Tempest, who is with, with this group, catches Element at one point, kind of, with just okay. the two of you. She's wearing, like, half-plate at this point, like most of the paladins are, like, they're not, like, in full battle regalia. She's probably, probably like, mid-thirties, human female, uh, the sides of her head are shaved, and the rest of it looks like it's pretty long, but it's not like up in a top knot mm-hmm. on the top of her head. She comes up to you and she says, uh, To hear 
using your your rank in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you have a moment? Of course. How may I serve you? I I need your guidance on something. Uh, absolutely. I debated telling you, but I I've actually I've, I've seen you before in Valorhold after oh. the siege there. My unit arrived at the the foot of Mount Tiergard in the the final days of the fighting, and we were there when you broke the siege, and uh, we were there for the the feast afterward. And it's 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 okay you didn't see me. I I I didn't expect that you would, but I just I just wanted you to know that I saw you. I know I know of you. What is your name? My apologies to hear. I am Stalwart Caresta Terridor. Well, it's a pleasure to have met you. I don't see much of our order around. And I try to remember faces of our order when I can. Kind of funny. That's kind of kind of what I want to talk to you about. I uh, I try to avoid our order as much as I can these days. You see, on our on our way back from Valorhold, we stopped in Ragehammer to to rest, and um, it turned out there was a, a a bit of a of a rebellion happening there. One of the the clans was rising up against the the Thane, and there was fighting in the streets. And we were guests of the Thane, so we were we were fighting on his behalf. But then part of the rebel clan came to us and told us they were followers of Tempest, but that they didn't have a cleric, they didn't have a, a leader of the church. And my ward, my the, the boy, really, that I was mentoring in our ways, uh, agreed to flip the shield. And um, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I forgot. You're you're from the north. You probably call it something else. He he agreed to go fight on behalf of the rebels, so mm-hmm. that the sides would be equal. That is as our god. Uh, Absolutely, but I tried as hard as I could to avoid him during the fighting. But it was like we were drawn together. I tried not to hurt him, but then in the chaos of the fighting, I was knocked down, and he was standing above me, his warhammer raised, but I had trained him, I knew what he was going to do, I took advantage of it, and I struck him before he could strike me. I killed him. I need you to tell me if that was right or not. If I'm right to feel this guilt that the boy who had put his trust in me, that I had practically raised, if it was right for me to kill him. This is... This is troublesome. And I can understand why it weighs heavy on your mind. I don't think there is a right answer to this. While, yes, you both did the right thing, and that he went to fight for those in need and you fought for those in need while you will probably always have this weighing heavy on your conscience know this he is at the warrior's respite he is where Tempest would want him to be after he has fallen yes you raised this boy and he was your charge but this is our life we are servants of a god of war she takes a deep breath and she nods. Go ahead and roll persuasion. 
I'm gonna use a little luck on that. Yeah, it's actually much, much better. 17. She nods. Thank you, dear. I... I think that's what I kind of knew, but I needed to hear it. I'm sorry I couldn't be much more help. You were very helpful. If you'll, if you'll excuse me. Go with these words. You are both doing your duty. And no matter what, Tempest will guide you. She thanks you and takes her leave. Oh man, that hurt. That hurt. Big time. (laughs) She falls back in the small column, back to near Asiliot and the four Armalucius that are carrying a massive war chest. The big oaken chest is easily five feet wide, five long, and three high. It's banded in heavy black iron, and Asiliot has rarely been far from it since they marched the Box Isle back in Warshires. All told, this expedition is comprised of 26 people. The five of you, the seven paladins, there are seven clerics, and then the rest are foot soldiers of the Armalucius. The deeper you go into the cities, the larger the piles of rubble get, um, to the point where some of them are several stories high. In between these, um, the shelves of massive buildings. Some are burned out. Um, some look they were gutted by something massive from above, like something just kind of reached down and tore out the inside of the building. A few of them that you look in, it looks like the interiors are windows into a night sky devoid of stars, even though it's the middle of the day. Deeper into the city, you notice that down some of the streets um, off the avenue that you're traveling, you see strange sights. Like, the first time it happens, it's kind of startling that you look down the street and the buildings along it all seem whole. Um, None of them are in ruins. The street is paved with polished marble. The buildings are um, five, six, ten stories tall. They glitter with crystal and white stone and platinum. And it seems that the sun is shining just on that street. When you see that, one of the paladins, um, Alethos the Halfling, nods and just says, yeah, just stay away from those. Paragon bleeds into other realities a little bit. Um, it might look peaceful, um, even beautiful, but you might get halfway to that cafe and end up in one of the nine hells. All right. Uh, after a couple of hours, the Arma uh, head toward a larger, semi-ruined building. Uh, Most of the outer wall looks intact. Uh, It has ramparts that are not quite strong enough to serve as like a real protection, but they're they're just hardy enough that they don't look like they are simply for decoration, like a noble's wall. The front gate is caved in and impassable. And Aseliot, who is leading the the march, doesn't even pause to investigate this gate. Um, Instead moves around and down one of the alleys. About halfway down that block, there's a side entrance that is intact, and there is, in fact, a gate fully standing, and it looks like it is brand new iron, and it is secured very well into this wall. And the party kind of, all of you kind of stop in front of this gate. Aseliot gestures to one of the other paladins and says, uh, Borin, you think you can break that down? 
and uh, a paladin who's even younger than Aselia. He looks like he's maybe 17, steps forward and, ha- and hefts a weapon that looks like a cross between like a warhammer and a spear, and says, yeah, I'm Bahamut Steel. And he starts moving towards the gate, like very clearly going to try to bash it down with his big hammer. That's adorable, by the way. <laughs> so what do you guys think we should do? I'm going to let him try so he can yeah, build up I'm his goal. I want to see how this And goes. then when <laughs> he like fails, it. I'll do it. So this Boren uh, walks up to the gate and flexes his shoulders, gets the two hands on the, basically like a halibird uh, hammer, and he sets the head of it against the lock that's on the gate and kind of like sets it there and pulls back and like sets it back on there and then like winds up for a big strike and then brings it crashing down. And it just resounds like a gong. It's a it's a good gate. The gate makes more noise than it does like shake or like seem to be damaged. Should I I'm gonna ask him if he would he would like a hand with this? He he looks at you and his face just goes beet red. As uh, uh, no 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 like just uh, no I got it. I like that was uh, just warming up. I was just, that was just a warm. I got I got it. No I'm good. It will take me like all of two seconds. It's fine. It's not a big deal. I say we give him another shot. Yeah. One more shot. It puffs out his chest like, no, I, I got this. No, I can totally got this. I have the siege crossbow that I was just talking about not using. Would there be a way to, like, try to time the crossbow bolt to hit right when he hits the hammer down and have nobody, like, nobody else see it? You could try. Um, that would be a heck of a shot, but... I mean, like, I'm, like, the best archer of all time. So. Right. Yeah, are you, like, a, how would you try to shoot in a way that nobody sees you shooting at it, though? I think I would try to hold it. Well, let's see. <laughs> could I, like, <laughs> could I just look to the left and be like, oh, my God, it's the king in yellow. <laughs> <laughs> But it would definitely get everybody's attention. It's it certainly would. And they would like point to the left and then shoot it while there. But he would see he would stop his hammer swing if he heard that. Yeah. I mean if you time it just right, like as he's just about to hit it. I'm going to try to time it just right. I don't care if it requires me rolling like a DC fifteen or something. (laughs) So I think this is gonna be a sleight of hand. Because it's a little bit misdirection and a little bit like shooting at just the right moment to catch it on the hammer fall. That is a 16 plus 8 is 24. Okay. Yes. So just as this halibird hammer is about to like smash into the lock again, you (laughs) shout, there's the king in yellow. And everybody, like weapons are drawn. (laughs) They they turn (laughs) in that direction. You fire. Boren's hammer hits the gate, and then just a moment later, your crossbow bolt slams into it as well. And even Boren turned to the side, too, so he didn't see your bolt explode against the gate. And the magic of the siege crossbow is kind of the coup de grace for this gate, and it goes just toppling down inward into the courtyard. So, the, it also the gates... Does. It also does 2d8 force damage in a 15-foot radius, so it probably <laughs> it would injure him. Uh, please roll that, yes. Nine. Okay, so there's Boren, 
minding his own business, uh, just trying to break this gate down for everybody. And then as he hits the gate, the gate explodes. The, the door is like flying inward, smashing against the wall. Borin, Marwin, and, and Althos are all like knocked backwards a little bit by the force of the explosion. And then half of the half of the party is now looking at the gate that just exploded, and the other half are now looking back at Aramil like, where? What'd you see? I don't know. I thought I saw something pop out of another reality or whatever you were talking about. <coughs> so Chorus gestures, and a dwarf and an elf run off with her down the alley, kind of the direction you were looking, um, or the direction you indicated. Um, the rest of them, like, a couple more of the armor, like, uh, post up on that side of the gate in that direction, and the rest of them again kind of moving into the courtyard. I'll walk up to the, the guy that swung the hammer, mm-hmm. and I'll kind of, like, lift him up by his armor, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll, like, pat him on the shoulder, and she's like, boy, you don't know your own strengths. <laughs> He's like, I, yeah, I mean, thanks. <laughs> and then I'm going to be like, yeah, and someday you might learn how to use your hammer. He blushes real hard again. He's got, he has absolutely nothing to that. <laughs> On the other side of the gate is a wide-open courtyard. Weeds seem to grow through every crack and crevice of the cobblestones. In the center is a manor. While aesthetically it shares a number of features with a keep or fortified building, it doesn't take a very keen eye to see that the building is more show than actual defense. The front doors are are long gone. They were probably wood and probably have just disintegrated over the... It's been about 3,000 years since anyone lived in Paragon. So the front doors of the building open into a great hall, um, like just directly into like where you'd have the big party and the big feast. On the far wall, just a little bit to the right of center, you see that the wall of the great hall has been bashed in. And in that hole, and this is, looks like a pretty fresh hole. Like it's not like the rest of the structure, which, for the most part, it's like it's it's definitely old and it's dirty and very clearly has been abandoned, but it's otherwise fairly solid. This part of the wall that's been bashed open looks like the the rock that's been exposed looks newer, just because it hasn't been exposed to you know thousands of years of air. Just beyond that hole in the wall, you see there's a small room, very small, almost more like a vestibule. And on the other side of it is a pair of large iron doors um, set into the wall. And um, Asilia and the other paladins kind of like make a beeline directly for that. As you draw closer, you see like etched into the doors is a depiction of some kind of figure. Um, much of it appears to have been eaten away by acid, um, leaving only hints of like a few dainty like humanoid limbs. And in some other places, like uh, like aquatic or like fish type features, but for the most part, like the acid is kind of eaten away any like kind of meaningful interpretation of it. Interestingly, though, the acid is not at all eaten into the latching mechanism of this door, um, and so the door is very firmly closed and appears to be very firmly locked. As you all approach, you kind of take that in, Asiliot turns as if he's again to going to ask Boren if he can knock this down. Uh, before he says it to him, he's like, probably be a little quiet about this one. You want me to try to pick the lock? I mean, you're a rogue for a reason, right? <laughs> yeah. Isiliot makes a by all means gesture towards the door. 
So Malkin walks up toward the door. Obviously, he's done this before, but uh, Adam will roll for it. <laughs> and right when Adam, right when uh, Malkin's going to pick the lock, I want to fire the siege cross with no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting for you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that happened, I would just turn around. All right, Malkin's going to use some luck. I don't think people would fall for the king in yellow thing again. <laughs> that maybe just one more time, and then after Chorus that, came, Chorus came back safely from the, just running down the alley, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Twenty-seven. This is a a complex lock. It's definitely one of the tougher that you've seen, but you're able to make quick work of it. Sure. I feel like like halfway through, I like after I'm like tinkering with it for a while, I kind of look back like I'm not going to be able to do it, and then I just like while I'm looking back at them, I just make one more turn and it clicks open. <laughs> Which is super awesome until a puff of poison. <laughs> oh fuck me! <laughs> comes uh, just wafting out of the open door. If you can all make Constitution saving throws for me. 23 for Malkin. 23 for Elliman. He's 26. There's one 18. I'm at 19. You all pass, which means you're going to take half damage, which is... 8. And Therina's going to take 4, because she is a dwarf. Pretty mixed results for the, the paladins and the rest of the, the armor that are with you. Some of them look like that's really affecting them, like some of them are kind of like coughing up blood a little bit. Um, some of the other ones look kind of like the rest of you are able to like shake it off a little bit. Like it certainly didn't do you any favors, but like it's not going to like dramatically affect them. And Asiliad kind of coughing is we should probably be on the lookout for more of that. Probably not a bad idea. The room beyond is a large round um, space. There is a pit in the middle of the floor that takes up the majority of the room. There's like about a 10 foot walkway around it. There's a wooden crane um, set up at the far side of this pit that has a, a rope leading like straight down into it. Attached to this crane is a large wooden wheel. It essentially looks like a like a human-sized hamster wheel, which probably at this time, like you have seen in other places, it's you know a mechanical-powered crane. Like somebody needs to get in there and run, and it moves the crane. Between the door and the pit is a statue. It looks like it was a knight at one point, but it is missing its head and part of its shoulder. And as the gas that has come out of the like the doors that open is just clearing as you are kind of all still coughing you see a single crystal drop from between the statue and the door and it shatters on the ground and there is a beat where the, you know you're, everyone's kind of coughing clearing the the poison from their lungs and then the statue begins to shake just slightly not like violently but it is vibrating it's about to attack us. Is there a check I can do where I would like maybe be able to tell if this is something I'm familiar with? Go ahead and roll Arcana. Fifteen. The way that statue is vibrating reminds you a lot of the statues from the Tower of Salune, the ones that attacked you. 
and a lot of the statue from the Tomb of the Elder King, which again, eventually came to life and attacked you. But this is, it's in the coming to life stages. Gotcha. Um, all arm, would you say like all arms toward that statue or like, how would you phrase that? But so you're, you're saying like, like open up on the statue kind of basically. Correct. Then yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's roll initiative. Well, oh. yeah. 29. And 19. 16 for element. 14. Malkin at a 12. Okay. Uh, well, Varys is at the top, so... Well then, I'll just uh, go ahead and... I'm going to use my bonus action to activate the life song. And I'm going to hit him with a, um, a ray of frost. 23 to hit. That'll hit. 12 cold damage. Okay. And his speed is reduced by 10 feet until the start of my next turn. Okay. To represent that, I am going to put a negative modifier for when I roll to see if it comes to life this turn. So you may have just bought you and your companions some more time. Boom. And that's my turn. Oh, I'm going to back away. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thorina. I think I'm going to throw my hammer. Okay. Oh, I'm also raging. Okay. 31 to hit. That'll hit. And 19 damage. Nice. So Baharath goes flying across the room, smashes into the statue. Small bits of rock go flying in all directions, and then Baharath swoops back to your hand. Anything else? Okay. Element. How far away is it? I'm just curious. It's about 20, 25 feet from where you all are. Awesome. I'm going to cast Dispel Magic on it. I just remember it worked so well last time we fought guys like this when we were at the Tower of Selune. Truthfully, that's why I'm doing this. Okay. There's a flash of red light from the War God's power. It is, however, not going to have any effect on this Mm. statue. Okay. Which would lead you to believe it's not a... It's not so much an animated statue as it Mm -hmm. is a a full-fledged golem. Um, and then you have, like, 700 bonus actions that you take, so do you want to do anything Believe else? Believe it or not, uh, all I'm going to do is, um, uh, I'm going to cast Spiritual Weapon. Okay. I've done that a while. Why not? What's it look like? Um, a Warhammer. Like, a really long Warhammer, like the kid. I'm going to show him how to really use it. More of the War God's Light, this time coalescing into a hammer that is floating beside Elemen. I'm assuming you want to attack, so go ahead and roll. 15? Uh, that does not hit. Oh. Or rather, I mean, in this case, it's a stationary statue that you're you're not going to miss it. It's just that when the hammer hits, it doesn't hit hard enough to do damage to the statue. Aramil. Alright, I am going to get the impression that an arrow is not going to pierce this thing. Not a, like, standard wooden arrow, probably, but yeah, magic arrows. And possibly a crossbow, siege crossbow bolt, since it's kind of made of thing, something that's buildings are made of. Um, I would give it a bonus. Okay, I'll use that then. Eighteen. Does not hit. That sucks. That's uh, 
all I can do. Okay. Malkin. Well, I guess I'll fire a one arrow with that. Okay. 27 to hit? That'll hit. 22. So you take that extra moment and line up your shot and left fly and your sneak attack on this statue knocks a few more chunks of stone to the ground. So then it is the statue's turn. Just so you know, I have tiers that I'm rolling on to see what the golem can do the first couple turns while it's gearing up. And because of Varus's Ray of Frost, that knocked it down an entire tier. So the golem continues to vibrate and then very slowly moves a single foot forward and takes a huge step down off the platform and it lands with this boom. Then it shudders as if it's trying to move more and cannot. That'll bring us back to the top with Varus. I am going to cast a level 2 magic missile. Okay, roll your damage. 20. Boosted by the power of the life song, these arcane missiles go streaking across the room and crash into the statue, knocking a few more significant chunks of rock away. And that brings us to Thorina. I'm going to try to do one of those, like, jump attacks where I land on him and bring the hammer down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ooh, natural 20. Ooh. That's 37 damage. Okay. And then can I have a second attack? Yeah, it's just magically throwing the hammer is when you have only one attack. 25. That'll hit. 20 damage. So you leap, and your ring of jumping easily propelling you across the 25 feet to the golem. And you land on it almost at the exact same time that you are smashing it with the first hit from your hammer. And then maybe you kind of use that swinging motion of the hammer to, as you come back around to, to keep your balance and stay on top of the thing, and then smash it again. Next, the paladins. A couple of them go running into the room, kind of take up position, like around on that catwalk, kind of like, uh, like a semicircle around the statue. All as one, they launch a salvo of guiding bolt. And they all hit for a lot of damage. So the paladins who were at first a little bit surprised about all this, maybe not quite used to your tactics of going from like zero to killing in, you know, in like a split second. <laughs> but they're up to speed now. They're in that semicircle around the statue and you just see seven streaks of silvery light go flying out from each of the paladins almost like a reverse shockwave and they slam into the statue. Alright, so this statue is starting to look pretty rough uh, beyond, you know, the fact that it was already missing a head. And Elemen, it is your turn, and the next attack on the statue has advantage. Okay, I'm going to run into the fray, and uh, I'm going to attack him. Okay. Yay. That'll hit. 16 damage with the sword, uh, another 6 damage for Radiant. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and just do um, a, a first level uh, smite on that too. So another 9 radiant damage on that first smite. Alright. 
Well, I'm gonna move my uh, spiritual weapon behind it. Use my bonus action to attack that. 18 to hit. Does not hit. Oh, shit. Okay, well, never mind. Airmail. I'll just do my, my regular turn, which is three arrows. And I will... Yeah, I'll use sharpshooter. 17, 25, 15. Uh, so one hit. So that's 22. That is a good hit, yeah. So two of the arrows do ricochet off the thing. But the third one slams just, like, dead center into it. And now my turn's done. Okay. Now my watch is ended. Oh! Uh, Malkin, who is hiding. It leaps back out into action. Everybody's excited to see it. He draws his short bow again and fires off a bolt at the crumbling statue. 21. That'll hit. 42 points of damage. That's a lot of damage. And that'll bring us to the golem. No longer slowed by Varus's frost spell, it appears this thing is now fully active. It takes another big step and comes fully off of the platform. And it uses that momentum to bring its sword around and begin attacking Element. First one, like, there's a one big, like, haymaker kind of swing that you're able to back out of the way of. But then it brings it up, like, back up for, like, an up slash that catches you. Are you still wearing your armor that negates criticals? Yes, I have okay. nothing to know. That is very good news for you. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> so you're going to take 35 damage. Jesus. As this huge sword crashes into you. And that is its turn. We're back at the top with Varus. This thing is looking really bad, but it is now moving and attacking. Alright, well, knowing that, I'm just going to focus out and try to throw a firebolt at him. Okay. 24 to hit. That'll hit. 21. That'll bring us to Therina. Alright, so for my first attack, I'm going to do the Thunderous Smite. Okay. 27 to hit. That's a good hit. 30 damage. So what does it look like when you destroy this thing? (laughs) She has the hammer and, like, runs up kind of toward its center and just, like, bangs it, I guess, around the waist. It's just like a two-handed swing across the stomach area, and it just breaks apart. When you slam your hammer into the side of this thing, it just splits in half. And the legs begin to crumble, and the upper part, like the torso and the sword, just like fall backward into that pit behind it. And then the legs drop down to their knees, and then fall forward and just kind of crack and uh, dissipate onto the ground. Cool. As the dust settles, and you take stock of the situation in the room, stepping forward to investigate this pit in the center of the room, you stare down into darkness a blackness that might as well go on forever. That's comforting. Hello! Hello! <laughs> Who all is hurt? I only took a little bit of damage. Thorina, you're not hurt at all? I don't think so. You know, to be on the safe side, I'm gonna do a mass cure wounds. 
everybody's going to regain 26 hit points, but I'm also going to cast aid as well. So everybody's going to get an additional 10 temporary hit points. Can I do a perception check on the pit? Just like peer over the edge and look down. 17. With your dark vision, you can see a bit deeper into the pit than some other people. The walls of it are made of brick, and while there are chunks of it where some have fallen away, revealing the earth behind, most of the bricks seem to be intact and then seem to be pretty sturdy. So this pit was definitely made. It is not a natural hole, uh, or I guess if it was natural to begin with, um, people have come along and meddled with it. The thing that's probably more helpful is that you are drawn over to a crane on the side opposite the door. It looks like it can pivot out over the pit, and there is a pretty impressive set of gears and pulleys connecting a platform to a serious spool of rope. These things look almost brand new. Can anyone cast either like fire or light on one of my arrows, and I can shoot it down the pit? We can see if we can see anything down there. Yeah, I can do that, man. You know what? I said it first, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Element. Yeah, I appreciate your uh, magic abilities. Yeah. You're welcome. This is like right before the band breaks up right here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I do that. Okay. Um, I was actually not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, usually we just walk headlong into bad situations. The arrow plunges straight down into the pit. When it is just a pinprick of light, you see it jump and skip erratically before coming to a stop. It appears to be resting on something. There is some form of ground or floor down there. You think it's at least 500 feet below you. Didn't we do Didn't we do one of these platform-type elevators before and it did not go well? Uh, no, it went well. Wasn't that the thing where we almost fell off and I almost lost Yeah, I was because I was going to shoot an arrow and pinch somebody's shirt to the platform. Yeah, in the Cascade, you were on that elevator... And that Eternal Watch Druid was trying to use vines to pull you all off the platform and into the abyss below. It would seem I have a thing about dangling you all precariously over seemingly endless pits. I don't know what that says about me, but... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, Malkin, like, goes to the edge of it and then kind of, like, sits on the ground real quick and then scoots off <laughs> onto the platform. I mean, the only way is, the only way is down, so... One of the Armalusia's soldiers is going to run the crane, making sure everyone gets down safely, and then be there when you come back and, and want to come out of the pit. It'll take a couple trips to get everyone down there, and during that time, Elemen, you notice that Caresta is not, no longer with the group. I fucked up, what you're saying. No, this, this was not a win-lose sort of thing. Would you ask about her? Yeah, Absolutely. Asiliat says that she recused herself just outside of the keep. She is planning to return to Brightmoon to formally remove herself from the Order, break the seals, binding her as a paladin of Tempest, and then return to her home in Shoalhearth to pray on a new direction. Well, it's not a life everybody can live, I guess. That is very true. I've, I've contemplated this as well. I'm assuming you want to stay a cleric and paladin of Tempest, then? <laughs> yeah. The five of you descend on the crane into the pit. Near the end of the descent, probably 50 or so feet from the bottom, the walls of the pit open wide as you enter a natural underground cavern. It is mostly open, and the area around where the platform lands has been cleared of stalagmites and other outgrowths. A path has been worn or cleared, leading to the nearest wall of the cave, 
where an opening has been roughly hewn. In that clearing near the platform sits a large, two-horse-sized cart. It is open and empty, but judging from the stains on the floor and the sides of the cart, it wouldn't be too big a jump to imagine that this cart at one point was used to haul corpses. Whether those corpses were fully dead or undead is another matter. A quick survey of the cave confirms that the tunnel right in front of the platform seems to be the only way out of the cave. While most of the tunnel is rough and somewhat natural appearing, there are definitely signs that this path was hewn from the earth by people, or at the very least, humanoid-like beings. After a short walk through the tunnel, you emerge into an octagonal room. On the far side, maybe 300 feet away, is another tunnel. The other six walls of the room have metal bars, and there are signs that these little alcoves were used as holding pens or prison cells. But it's the statue in the center of the room that catches your eye, because it is just disturbing. It is 20 feet tall. You can almost see a progression of it changing over the course of years, hundreds, perhaps even thousands of years. At one point long ago, it looks like it might have been a statue of a humanoid shape, but it looks like it may have had many more arms and legs. Then at some point it appears that those extra limbs were removed, and the statue was altered with barnacles, bits of seashell, and what looks like fish eggs that have been turned to stone. The alterations gave the statue the head of a lobster, and turned its hands into claws. Then much more recently, based off of the smell and the state of the material, someone, or many someones, began covering the crustacean bits with swaths of humanoid skin. The effect is such that the statue is starting to resemble a motley, but sickly, pallid creature. On its head is a crown of what looks like twisted stone, until you look closer and realize it is a series of skulls, warped and somehow fused together to create a crown with tall tines. A large piece of cloth is draped over one shoulder. It is comprised of dozens of various bits of cloth, some of them still recognizable as specific articles of clothing. And while there are dozens of variations of hues represented in the fabric, they are all yellow. Do I recognize this creature at all from any sort of studies of... Go ahead and roll religion. Could I do the same? Sure, we can do it as a group check. We'll say, like, the, as you're studying the statue, the two of you are kind of comparing notes or chatting about it. This is my strong suit, by the way. 22. 23. Okay. I guess it's Eris' strong suit now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's smarter than I am. I'll give that to him. Also, you know, can I do another thing, too? Maybe. Can is I it? use my divine sense? With those rolls, the two of you feel pretty confident that the crustacean-like figure is of a long-forgotten god, or at the very least one that's been forgotten by those who dwell above water. Uh, this, however, does spark an idea, or or rather you remember that the cultists you fought at Wardshire were hurting a swarm of recently dead, but now undead, fish people, and that this statue of a fish god is apparently being transformed into one of the king in yellow. 
As the five of you study this statue, an uneasiness settles upon you. I need all of you to make wisdom saving throws. It's 23. Uh, 15 for Malcolm. That's a 4. 25 for Vera. 28. So, Aramil, I think you figured out that you did not pass. Um, everybody else did. So, Aramil, I need you to roll a d100. 26. All right, Aramil, I just sent you a note in Slack. It's never fucking good. That's it. <laughs> Maybe it's like a million dollars. For everyone listening along, if you'd prefer to not know what the note to Aramil says, if you want to experience this as if you were part of the party, go ahead and skip the next minute and 15 seconds. This is what the note says. Aramil. As you study the statue, you realize you've been staring so hard you haven't been blinking. You wipe away a few tears that are just sprouting and find yourself drawn right back into the statue. There is something wrong with it. You get a cold feeling deep in your gut. The statue should not be here. It should not be in this world. It sounds wrong. It sounds like the absence of the absence of sound. It sounds like an unsound. You're able to look away, but when you do, you can't shake the feeling of wrongness. Something is wrong. Very wrong. You don't know what. It could be anything. It could be anyone. You don't know when this will reveal itself. You don't know when the wrongness will come crashing into you. So mechanically, Aramil has temporary madness in the form of extreme paranoia. I think I should do my divine sense. Go ahead and tell the group what that does. So it's as an action, you can detect good and evil. Until the end of your turn, you can sense anything affected by the hallowed spell or the known location of a celestial fiend undead within 60 feet. Um, I would like to know if there's any uh, celestial fiends or undead. There are not. Well, I'm glad I used that. Well, now you know. Well, no, no, I know, yeah. But this place has been desecrated recently. Interesting. So it's, okay. I would probably turn to the group and say that to them, like, hey, I don't think these guys have been here very long. Wait, how do you, uh, how do you know that? Uh, I have a thing from... What thing? I learned how to do this a while ago. What does that mean? I can sense evil and good in this area. What do you sense? Okay. Are you okay, Aramel? You sound a little yeah, different. <laughs> okay. Just, I just want to get out of here. Okay, well, we got to complete our mission first, and we'll get out of here. Yeah, well, let's do it then. Okay. When it looks like you all have finished, Asiliot comes over to the group. The Armalusha spread out through the room as soon as they got in there. Aside from a few odds and ends, little scraps of things, it looks like this room was mostly cleared out, probably somewhat recently, and that nothing of real significance remains. Asiliat says, I no longer think the cult is retreating here. I think this place is something else to them. It seems like they were looking for something. Or at the very least, they think they're on the path to finding something. We can't afford to let them. And why should we trust what you say? 
Aramal, I'd probably trust the man. He knows what he's... I think he knows what he's doing. Why should I trust you? Because you're my brother. We fight together. I've known you for years now. Whatever. You alright there, bud? Yeah, I'm fine. Alright. I want to keep an eye on I'll defer to his judgment, um, what he said to me. Or what he said to the group. Okay. Well, then let's go. So then we get a little travel montage. This second tunnel is much longer. You make good time, but it's at least an hour until you emerge from the other side. We see the group standing on a little stone dock. The tunnel behind them, a huge underground canal stretches to their right and left. It's at least 100 feet across, 20 deep. The canal slopes ever so slightly to the right, and water is moving through not super fast, but definitely not slow either. Three of the berths on the dock are empty, but enough boats remain for the group to clamber aboard with all the Armalusia's supplies and that massive battle chest. The trip down the canal is mostly eerily quiet, though an occasional high-pitched but quiet burble will echo from somewhere far down the canal. So everyone stays mostly silent, straining for other sounds. When you all reach a point when the canal empties into a huge hole in the earth and you see another small dock, everyone is more than ready to make camp and rest for the night. You spend at least two hours on the boats and you can't tell for sure, but it definitely feels like you have been traveling all day and that the sun must be going down overhead. After docking the boats, getting the supplies off of them, the Arma begins settling the gear into manageable packs. The large chest is removed and carefully placed on the ground. Othalo studies it for any signs of damage. Up ahead, just a little ways away from where you're going to be making camp, the canal turns into a waterfall, plummeting into a huge shaft carved into the earth. This hole is easily 600 feet across. And even with some of your magic lights and flaming arrows, it's hard to see the far side. Though you can just make out on the other side, across from your river is another tunnel and another river emptying into the shaft. You can hear similar roaring from the right and the left, but from where you are in the tunnel, you can't see what is actually causing it, but you imagine that there are at least two other canals emptying into the shaft. As you all are setting up camp, is there anything that you would like to do? Uh, I want to do a thing. I would like to invite our leader as a sign of good faith. And I'm going to use one of those gem-encrusted bowls that I've had in my bag for a while and cast Hero's Feast for us tonight. That serves like 12, right? Yeah, okay. So the paladins are going to take the portion that you're offering to them and share it amongst the, the whole of the Armalusius, all 20 of them. So they are not going to get like the full benefit of it. Um, right. But they will get some benefit, and that gesture goes a long way. Okay, cool. I rolled horribly for these extra hit points you guys get. Uh, you're going to get an additional <laughs> five hit points, which lasts for 24 hours. You're also going to be cured of all diseases and poisons. You become immune to poison and being frightened. And uh, you make all wisdom saving throws with advantage for the next 24 hours. Evan, you better write that shit down for when we start it back. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. <I'll... laughs> 
Ermel, I'm going to say that that feast takes care of the uh, the issue that I mentioned in that note. Okay. As you all are finishing this feast, everybody in high spirits, the moment is shattered by a scream. It rises beyond the dull roar of the waterfalls from somewhere out in the darkness. Its sharpness echoes in that pit. The scream sounds almost childlike. Great! Is that Varys? <laughs> and I like kind of like jab Elemin like in the side. Oh, that was right where I got stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> well, looks like we have something to rescue. All right, let's go. Who would be down here though? Somebody that they brought with them to kill, to torture. Where was where was children from? Remember last time we went to help a child? It didn't end well. That's because we fucked it up. I'll check it out, I guess. No, I'll go with them. No, we're gonna go. <laughs> and we all sound so reluctant. We just <laughs> the spells. We kind of just been assuming thus far that you had been proceeding through all these underground situations using your magical light, since most of the Armalucius are humans and don't have dark vision. But you all actually do have dark vision, so how do you want to proceed? I'm going to use Drift Globe. I have one. I got got another one. I'm going to use my dark vision right now. I'll use that. So Elemon tosses this golden orb into the air, and as it starts to fall back down, it stops at just about eye level and illuminates the area with this very soft sepia light. The edge of the pit is only about 50 feet from where you were just feasting and where you had set up the camp. As you approach the abyss, you hear the scream again. As you step as close to the edge as you feel comfortable, you see the waterfall nearby pouring into a deep darkness. It gives you the feeling that it has no bottom. Looking up, the shaft extends heavenward and you see a tiny pinprick of light that must be thousands upon thousands of feet above you. You are right at the edge when you hear a silly out behind you. What are you doing? You turn back to him and are doubly surprised. More viscerally, you are shocked to see a silly out standing a good 20 feet back from you. And you see that there is no ground between him and you. He is standing at the edge of the pit. And as this realization dawns, you feel that dropping in your stomach as you begin to fall. And in some ways, not so surprising to you, you see a figure standing behind the Armalucius. If they are like anything humanoid, they look a little elven. But their features are far more angular, far more brutal than those of elves. They are so beautiful, it is terrifying. They seem to gently glow with a kind of luminescence that makes the air around them seem darker for their presence. They look younger than a newborn, but also old beyond the measure of years. They wear a gown of flowers, blue grass, and budding fruit. Their purple eyes have white starburst irises. It is the spring judge. 
and they are waving to you as you begin to fall. The judge then blows you a kiss, and little motes of light blossom on each of your chests, becoming bindings that wrap around your torso like a corset. Malkin, you notice almost immediately as you begin to drop that your amulet of Featherfall that should slow this plunge is not working. As the motes of light settle onto your chests, Varus and Elemen, you feel something slide between you and your connection to your magic. As you plunge away from them, the paladins on the ledge disappear into the darkness as you are consumed by the abyss below. Nobody said anything important, though, so we're fine. Oh, I'm good point. Yeah. Cut the entire thing out. Yeah. All right, so yeah. back to the no, Okay. I want to discuss more NBC sitcoms. You guys watch Scrubs or? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about rewatching Scrubs. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. You should. Such a good show. Close some of your tabs out. It should help. I don't have anything else open. Oh. Evan is with the Geek Squad. He said, close your tabs. <laughs> I mean, the only tab I have open is Google Hangouts. We'll close it. Well, he's that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> is it still like really bad? No, no, it's better. That's a lot of damage. Thanks That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of damage. That's a big hit. That also reminds me, I saw a picture of a dice tower today made out of beer cans. So just throwing that out. At you. Do they use Flex Seal with it too? Do they do what? Use Flex Seal? I don't know what that is. He just said the thing, though. No, he doesn't know, Evan. Uh, <laughs> get over it, Evan. I thought, I thought you on. established that when you said it and then he didn't respond. <laughs> okay. I feel like we should restart tonight and just say the smart things. <laughs> <laughs> Out, We're just, you know, just gotta get the rust off. We, uh, hey, my lot. plan was freaking good. I never do perception checks and shit. I think you're making that up. That's no. a made-up word. No. Like um, the loop or something like that? Or something? Isn't yeah. bippity-boppity-boo something? No. <laughs> That's something. I'm gonna put it oh, yeah, the... He is the boot. Yeah, he's the... The, the Babadook? The Babadook. He is the boot. The Canadian devil. Is the what? The Canadian devil. Beel's a Beel's a boot. Oh my god. <laughs> I think it's I think it's Krabby from Pokemon. <laughs> I think it's a female Zoibur. And I kinda wanna just call it there. No. Yeah. Why do you fucking do this shit, Thomas? I wanna go back to the Feywild and tell them that the summer judge touched us weird. <laughs> <laughs> I want 
going to show them on the doll. <laughs> well, we can't die, can we? <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. Oh, no. Ask, uh, ask uh, Devin. Uh, just wants to test out his new long rest theory. He's like, I'm going to give you all permanent damage and not let you long rest. Oh, we're resting while we're falling right now, actually. I'm yeah, I'm just chilling. I'm like, well, fuck it. <laughs> like punishing us. Well, I mean, it is technically a punishment for the murder, but... Oh, my fuck. <laughs> Keep bringing that up. Now we're all gonna die. Could I have a character ready anyway, so it's fine. Could the, could the influence of a god help with this by chance? These punishments? Because I feel like we have a favor that we haven't used. Where do you ask that favor? And oh, God. Oh, this is a favor? Uh, uh, oh. Just, just metagame. Man, I don't want to fuck here. with that like, shit. Thomas is not going to just make us all plummet to our deaths involuntarily. I, like, I don't know. Him and I were talking earlier about how he could easily kill us all. <laughs> we're going to fall into water or something. It'll be fine. I mean, if, if you, you fall, fall far enough into water, water like you're, you're still, still gonna die. die. That's no. Nah, I can breathe in water. It's, yeah, almost it's, like, it's not a matter of breathing so much as scientifically, if you're falling fast enough, what hitting water is like hitting cement. Yeah. yeah, basically. I'm gonna release my kraken, and she's gonna save me. Malkin is hugging Elemin the whole way down. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. 